Hello there, and welcome to the Christians with Questions podcast. My name is Josh Fultz, and I am your host. And this week, we have a question about depression. Now, I have been in ministry for over 15 years and worked in mental health for over 20 years, and so this question is something that I'm eager to dive into. But the questioner writes in this, they say, Why do Christians suffer from depression? My pastor says, I need to let go and let God. How should we deal with depression? Now, I want to begin by looking at some recent data. Uh, This report came out from the Kaiser Health News Network, um, dated August the 21st of this year, and it's in regards to mental health and the coronavirus. 53% of adults surveyed said their mental health has been affected in a negative way due to COVID-19. This is up from 32% in March. There's also been roughly a 12% increase in substance abuse, More than one in three adults in the United States have reported symptoms of anxiety or depression um, during the pandemic. In comparison to January of 2019, it was about one in 10. So one in 10 in 2019 versus one in three presently, that is a tremendous uh, spike in difficulties with mental health. Uh, Additionally, a recent study found that 13% of adults reported new or increased substance abuse um, as a way to manage stress due to the coronavirus, and 10, uh, roughly 11% of adults reported thoughts of suicide in the past 30 days. And so this is certainly a timely question in the midst of the uh, pandemic that we have been facing in 2020. Also, multiple surveys uh, have reported that a significant percentage of Americans have reported gaining weight during the pandemic. So I don't know if you've put on that COVID-15 or if you've kept those pounds off, but it's safe to say that the pandemic has definitely impacted our mental health. Now, some normal statistics on anxiety and depression, and I know the, uh, the, the questioner here is talking about depression, but I think it's important that we just sort of talk about anxiety as well. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States, affecting roughly 40 million adults in the United States um, age 18 or older. That's about 18% of our population. And major depressive disorder is the leading cause of disability in the United States for people ages 15 to 44. It affects more than 16.1 million American adults, and that's about nearly 7% of the U.S. population of people older than 18 in any given year. Now, while we can spend many episodes talking about anxiety and depression, I wanted to, to deal with these together because it's not uncommon for someone with anxiety to also suffer from depression. Nearly one half of those diagnosed with depression are also diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. Now, it's important to know to begin with what depression and anxiety is. There's a difference between a clinical level of anxiety and depression versus just the worried well. Everyone deals with worry at various times in their lives. Um, It's sort of uh, just part of being human. But clinical anxiety and depression goes much deeper than that. Clinical anxiety is present more often than not. There's more, you know, it's more difficult to control and to shut your mind off. It's excessive worry. Um, Some symptoms of anxiety might be edginess or restlessness or getting more fatigued than usual, having a hard time concentrating, being irritable with others, um, increased soreness, uh, difficulty uh, sleeping, whether that's trouble falling asleep or staying asleep. 
And it's the same with depression. Everybody gets sad at times. Just because you're sad doesn't mean that you're depressed. Sadness is a healthy emotion. There are times it's appropriate to be sad. It's a good thing to be sad at some times. But major, or what we might call a clinical depression, is being depressed for more days than not. It's having more lows than highs. And it's a dark and difficult place to be where you feel like everyone around you is happy and you're sort of stuck in the dark. And sort of like anxiety, some symptoms of depression would be sleep difficulties. If you're depressed, um, you could have insomnia or you might sleep more than usual. There can be changes in your appetite and weight, difficulty concentrating, um, fatigue, uh, psychomotor agitation where you feel jittery, jittery sped up or, or slowed down. And so, as I've mentioned, there's a difference between the worried well and clinical anxiety and depression. But the more we worry or experience depressed feelings, we are more likely to experience things at a clinical level. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that as neurons in your brain fire together, they wire together. So the more we are oriented toward worry or being depressed, the more likely that we might be moving to something that is clinical. So think of your brain like a sophisticated superhighway that is always under construction. The more you drive certain highways in your brain, the larger they become. And so our thoughts really do actually influence the structure of our brains. And so we've seen a little bit about what depression and anxiety are, but that's ask how should we deal with depression and anxiety? What would a Christian response be? And even if you're not a Christian, I think that there's, there's some things for you to mine out of our discussion here. Well, I believe that mental health problems, first of all, are spiritual problems. So to fully fix the problems, we have to address some things spiritually as well. We're remarkable creatures, incredibly complex beings. And so depression and anxiety are rooted in different components. So you have a physical component. Uh, that's the chemical and physical structure of our brains and our bodies, um, genetic factors that we inherit from our families. There is an emotional and thinking aspect of it in regards to how we experience emotion, our ability to cope, what we think about and allow ourselves to ruminate on. There's the relational and the environmental, our ability to interact with others, um, whether we have a support system, how much stress is in our relationship and in our environment. And then last, the, the fourth kind of component here is the spiritual, having a true understanding of why God allows us to go through difficult things, uh, being in a community of people that care for us, having purpose and meaning in our lives. And so think of this like a four-legged stool where the legs are all messed up and not even. You know, fixing two legs of that stool will be helpful because it'll give you some stability, but you can't fully be stabilized on that stool until all four legs are even. Even if you get three of those, you can kind of lean one way and be stable. Um, but if you rock the other way, oh, there's a little imbalance in there. So what I want to do is I want to examine all four legs of the stool, so to speak, and make some comments on how to deal and manage anxiety and depression. And so let's start off with the physical aspect of anxiety and depression. It's important to know that if you have family members with depression, then obviously you are more likely to struggle with anxiety or depression. It's nature versus nurture. Some of us are biologically predisposed, and I'm sorry, you just drew the genetic short straw. And we have to understand that for clinical depression or anxiety, there is a physical problem um, with us. 
Now, I understand that Christians are just trying to be helpful when they say things like, well, you just need to let go and let God, or life is great, just be happy, or you know, don't worry, God has this. But God has also given us some resources to use, and we would be foolish not to take advantage of those resources. So Christians have no problem taking treatments for medical difficulties. Rarely have I ever heard a Christian say to someone diagnosed with cancer, we need to let go and, and let God. Sometimes there is a chemical or neurological problem that needs to be addressed with medication or treatment, and it is okay to seek those treatments out. Now, I'm not saying that medication will fix all of our problems or that we should throw medication at every problem, but I am saying that medication can get us to a place to deal with our problems, and sometimes that is warranted. I went through a period where I spoke with my doctor and was placed on anxiety medication. It was due to a difficult time in my life where our daughter was incredibly sick. And I stayed on anxiety medication for about a year, and it really put me in a place where I could manage and figure things out and get to a better place. And I was eventually able to, to take, be taken off the medication, and it was a very needed thing in my life. So for the anxious or depressed person, speaking with a medical professional Seeking out a well-trained, credentialed counselor is highly recommended. And sometimes you have to shop. Not all counselors are a fit. Um, just like when you're dating, not every person you go out with you want to spend the rest of your life with. When you visit somebody in a counseling relationship, sometimes you're like, nope, uh, we had a first date and we're done. And so number two, the, the second leg of our stool, so to speak, is there is our emotional and our thought life. As I mentioned in the previous episode, um, you spend more time talking to yourself than anyone else. You are the most influential person in your life. So you have to make sure that you are giving yourself correct, sound advice. Often our self-talk is destructive and what we think doesn't match up with reality. So we have to really challenge our own thoughts. And this is where having somebody else outside of us, a counselor, a pastor, a trusted friend, where we share what's going on in our minds, and they're able to say, you know what, your thinking here is just off-center. It's not right. You're not seeing reality as it really is. You're sort of running it through a, a distorted filter. And so we have to make sure also that we aren't living out of our emotions. Just because you feel something doesn't make it so. Just because you feel like people don't like you, or you feel like you can't go into public places, or that something bad might happen, or that you're just unlovable, those feelings that you're having does not make it. A reality and it's so important to know that that we can't let our lives be driven by how we feel so we have to become really aware of our thoughts and emotions and be willing to scrutinize those the apostle paul writes in second corinthians 10 verse 5 he tells us that we take our thoughts captive and that we make those obedient to christ how you think comes out in how you live broken thoughts lead to a dysfunctional life and so we have to get a handle on our thought life and I've also noticed often with people that are depressed or anxious that they start to see their lives through this script. They think, well, I'm depressed, and this is how depressed people act. And they sort of form a narrative for their life built around that depression. And I want you to know, your depression or your anxiety, that is not your identity. You are a person that struggles with depression, not a depressed person that struggles with being a person. Does that make sense? Your self-talk is so critical. You are all if you're always critical of yourself, if you expect yourself to fail, if you're self-depreciating in your thoughts and sometimes I hear people even make self-depreciating comments, friends, that impacts your day-to-day -day life at an incredible 
level. Third bar of our stool, uh, the third uh, leg of our stool, rather, is the relational and the environmental. Stressful relationships are obviously problematic, and so we have to find a way to deal with the conflict and the stressors relationally in our lives. Some people avoid conflict, some people are passive-aggressive, um, but relationships don't change until you have conversations. For those of us that are married, um, if your spouse doesn't know what's bothering you, they can't even take any steps to get it fixed. And I've seen so many people that were unhappy with certain things in their marriage, and when they finally talked about it, amazing things happen because both people can actually work to deal with that. And it works the same way in friendships and parent-child relationships, whatever the case is. And then also, I think it's important to note that sometimes in relationships, there needs to be necessary endings. Sometimes you just have to move on. Some things can't be repaired, and it's okay to say, you know what, I have to put some distance, I have to put some boundaries in place between this person and me, or I'm going to continue to live at a dysfunctional level. But we also have to understand that we were made to be in community. You need people. There is a tremendous correlation between loneliness and mental health. As a person becomes lonelier, they are at increased risk for mental health and emotional problems. So isolating is a problem for us. And then there's also stressful things in our environments as well. The more things in our lives that are out of sort and out of control, the greater our anxiety and depression is likely to be. And so it's important to remember that we can't fix everything at once. So we have to begin with what we can control Jordan Peterson, an incredibly brilliant man, he says this. He says, you have to start off with making your bed. In other words, control what you can control in your environment and start small. And so if you have a house that is just entirely messy and you think about, oh, there's all this stuff to do, that might be overwhelming. But you know what you can do? You can get up and make your bed, get dressed, and put on your shoes clean your bedroom, and then you move on from there to another room. Now, taking that analogy and applying it to our lives, you can't fix every problem in your life at once. So start small, set goals, something that you can have some success at, and make your bed. Start there. Moving on to our fourth leg here, I want to address the spiritual. And uh, I know not everybody uh, is a spiritual person. Well, I believe everybody is a spiritual person, but some people don't acknowledge that portion of their life. And maybe that's you. And you say, well, you know what? I'm willing to fix these three you know, legs on my stool. And that's fine. That's going to give you some stability. But I don't think you can completely find that leveling until you address the spiritual component in your life. If you haven't figured this out yet, life is bigger than just you. Now, we'll do another episode in the future um, on this sort of topic because belief in Christianity is a game changer when it comes to mental health. But for now, just a few things to think about. Uh, I think it is so important for us to remember that a life isn't about us. Um, there's been so many studies that have shown that when we realize that and we, we live life with other people and serve other people, there's a huge component in service and you know selflessness and our mental health taking a huge spike in a positive direction. So I think we have to realize that a lot, there's more to life than us. And when we just focus on us, it is a downplay in our mental health. Another thing I think that's important to remember in the spiritual is that God loves you dearly. And that's big news for somebody that feels unlovable, that the God of the entire universe would care about you and about me. 
Um, in the Psalms, it talks about, you know, who are we that God is mindful of us and cares about the day-to-day in our lives? For somebody who feels out of control, it's reassuring to know that there's a God who is in control and that governs um, the affairs of the world. Christianity also teaches forgiveness to other people when we're holding on to hurts, letting things go. And Christianity is also the only worldview that embraces the idea of redemption and grace. That is to say, no matter what has happened in your past, you can find forgiveness for that and move on. Christianity teaches that much of what drives depression is experiencing loss. And we've all experienced that. It goes all the way back to the beginning. Adam and Eve sinned and paradise was lost. And we've been looking for a way back to Eden ever since that day. We're all affected by loss. So how do we deal with loss? Well, we grieve. And now I know that sounds maybe weird, and I'm going to explain what that means. But depression is the way that I believe the, much of the world deals with loss. And grief is, is God's way of dealing with loss. And it's important to know that loss and grief are more than just the death of a loved one. When most people think of grief, they think of losing someone that they've loved. But it could be the loss of a job. It could be the loss of a dream. It could be the loss you know, of something that you had hoped in your future. It could be loss of a relationship. It might even be the loss of a pet. There are different things that we grieve. And so I want to ask you, what's the difference between depression and grief? And I think you should know this too, that the cure to depression and even anxiety is counterintuitive. You have to do everything that you don't want to do. Everything that feels natural to do when you're depressed actually enables the depression and the anxiety. And so it's really counterintuitive. We have to do things that don't come naturally in order for us to overcome and to grieve. You see, depression keeps us locked in because depressed people, they don't deal with things. They don't tackle the problem and they use poor ways of dealing with pain. Whether that's substances or sex or cutting, they just ignore it, put a band-aid on it. Depression will stay as long as we let it and for some people it's a permanent part of their life. That is, they again, they've built this narrative around this is who I am, this is my identity. That is not your identity. So depression keeps us locked in. Grief, on the other hand, is temporary. It's a process that you go through. It steps one foot after the other. It has an end. We grieve a loss. We grieve the end of a relationship. We grieve the death of a dream. We grieve over something precious that has been lost, but depression just hangs on to the heart and it doesn't let go. Depressed people stay isolated. They don't let other people in to help. They experience their sadness alone. They don't want to bring other people into their problems. They deal with the loss by themselves. But grief connects. When we grieve, we pull other people into the problem. We get people to listen. We get people to share in our loss and maybe even share their loss. And it sort of normalizes how we're feeling, the emotions that we're going through. We find people to lean on as well. The Bible says in Romans 12, rejoice with those that rejoice and mourn with those that mourn. When times get hard, that is what we need in other people. When we lose something important, grief brings other people into our lives. Whereas depression says you can handle this on your own. Just stay isolated and don't reach out. When we grieve, we cry out to God. We lean into him and say, you know what? I need your help. We invite him into our pain and our suffering. Depression says avoid emotion. Don't think about it because if you think about it, you'll be upset. Don't pull those pictures out because if you pull those pictures out, you'll be upset. Uh, don't remember the good times that you had with that person or you might fall apart. Depression says avoid the emotion. 
Grief, on the other hand, says to embrace that emotion. It's okay to feel sad sometimes because sadness means we're admitting that there's a problem. We admit we lost something. Depression says, you know, just live in denial. It, it's not really over. Maybe it'll get better. Depression distorts the facts. You know, I've always found comfort in the Psalm, the 23rd Psalm, where it says, Yeah, though I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and staff, they comfort me. Now, it doesn't say this. It doesn't say that I'm going to go around the, the, the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say that I'm going to camp out in it. It says I'm going to walk through it. That is what grief does. It's something that you walk through, and God is there with you. So grief embraces that painful emotion. I feel sad, and I should feel sad because I lost something. The relationship is really over. It's never going to be amended. My parents are really divorced. There's nothing I can do about that. The dream that I had held on to isn't going to happen, and I have to accept that. But I can be sad in the moment because that's an appropriate response. Depression distorts reality. Depression gives us false hope. Grief said there is a loss. Let's acknowledge our loss. Let's move forward as we heal. Sometimes we have to accept things as they are, not as they should be. And if we refuse to accept the way things are, we will stay depressed. So to use a silly example, because it's outlandish, let's suppose my dream was to be a professional athlete. Never would have happened. I'm five foot nine and um, probably have more body fat than muscle. Um, so I will never be a professional athlete, but that suppose that was my dream and that dream hasn't happened yet and I'm well past the point of making it happen. If I hang on to that dream, I'm going to stay depressed. And so grief says, you know what, this is a dream I had, but I have to admit that it's not going to happen. I have to accept the loss. And that moves us through that depression. Grief is honest about lost. Next, depression withdraws. But grief needs. Depressed people push others away. I don't need your help. Leave me alone. Grieving people say, I can't do this alone. I have to invite you into this with me. To some degree, you, you know, we allow other people to make our pain their pain as we walk through this together. Depression keeps people locked in the path. Grief says, takes the present and it deals with the past. It says, stay here in the present and deal with the past. See, a lot of times depressed people don't want to move forward. Uh, they stay focused on the past, they stay focused on the loss, and they won't move past what has happened to them. But grief says, take the resources you have in the present, lean on other people, lean into God, and that's built some new dreams. That's set some new goals. That's start to live again and press back as much as we can into Eden, into the, you know, what, what is good and true and beautiful in our lives. So to recap real quick, how do we deal with depression? Well, we don't try to deal with it using ways that don't work, isolating, drugs, ignoring the problem. We don't let our emotions run away with us. We look at what is real. We look at what is factual. We address our thoughts. We take our thoughts captive. We, we kick out bad thoughts, and we don't focus on you know incorrect narratives. We adjust our environments. We make our bed, right? We watch what's going on in our thought life. We connect to other people. We don't do things on our own. We don't avoid the emotion. Instead, we deal with it. And above all else, we let God into that pain, right? 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Where we are now doesn't mean that is where we have to stay. And so, as you, the listener, where are you at right now? Are you dealing with some pain? You know, Are you having a period where you might feel depressed or anxious um, there are certainly steps that you can take, but you have to deal with each leg on this stool. 
And so I want to remind you of Psalms 14, verse 73. It says that God heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. And so if there's anything that I could offer you, it's this, that there's hope that things will get better, but they won't get better unless we actually start to move and deal with the problem. The biggest thing you can do for yourself right now is to just take one step forward and to know that we live in a broken world and bad things happen and we struggle, but that is not our defining identity. We can move past that. And so I hope this podcast, this episode has been beneficial to you. Um, If you know somebody that could enjoy it, it might be beneficial to them. We'd love it if you would share it. Uh, As we close, if you want to email us a question, you can do that at christianswithquestionspodcast at gmail.com and we'll add it to our list. Or you can find us on Facebook, give us a like, and send us a message. And this podcast is brand new. We would love it if you subscribed and perhaps gave us a review if you like what you've heard. Uh, Some things you can expect in future episodes. Here's some of the questions that have been submitted. Uh, One is, why didn't Satan get a second chance? I mean, we fell. We got a second chance. Why didn't he? Uh, Why do bad things happen? Uh, What about, does the Bible promote slavery? Is there a difference between psychosis and demonic influence? Another writer asked this, how do you know God is guiding you and it's not just what you want? And then we had a, a child submit this question, was God created? How can he always have existed? And so we want to thank you again for tuning in to our podcast this week. Um, It's a joy for us to get to do this. I certainly enjoy it, and we would love you to tune back in with us. See you next time.